Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I just wanted to give you a quick announcement before the episode starts. I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm doing a free stop binging challenge this month and I previously mentioned it was on the 20th. It's actually going to be on the 28th. Actually, let me double check here. <laughs> Seeing again. Yeah, it'll be on the 28th, which is a Monday, which is at the end of the month. If you want to join, you can go directly to my website, bingebreakers.com, and find all the sign up info there. It's completely free. It'll be a week long. You'll get access to a Facebook group, um, daily videos, lots of things that will help you learn how to stop binging and tools that you can take with you, and then an opportunity to continue on the journey in our group program. But even if you don't join, you'll be able to get a lot of things that will help your recovery. So join us at bingebreakers.com, sign up for the free challenge, and I hope to see you there. Okay, enjoy the episode. How is everyone doing today? How are you doing? (laughs) Wherever you're watching this on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, I hope you're doing good. Today, I want to talk about my top tips for bulimia recovery, just a good old top tip a I probably have made a podcast episode like this in the past, but I just think it's good review and give you, I did for the holidays, like my top tips for holiday, surviving the holidays with bulimia recovery. Um, But that was really successful. So I want to just give you my top review of like, if I couldn't tell you anything else, these are the tips that I would give you for bulimia recovery. Um, They aren't going to cover everything. So, you know, don't get upset about that, but they are going to give you the most bang for your buck. Let's get into it. So top tips for bulimia recovery. The first thing, the one that I always say to every single person in my group coaching program, I try to say it nonstop, is to meet your basic needs. Make sure you're drinking enough food. Or make sure you're drinking enough food. Make sure you're eating. <laughs> make sure you're eating enough food. Make sure you are drinking enough water, and make sure you were sleeping enough. And I know you can't always get these things in, like sleep. Sometimes, especially if you're a mom, it's hard. Um, a parent have a busy job, but you really need to make um, priority with this meeting your basic needs. It's very difficult to do the work required in recovery versus like kind of like dealing with urges, um, mindfulness. If you are not taking care of your basic needs. It's going to increase urges. It's going to make it much more difficult. And it's going to make the work you're doing kind of irrelevant. If you're never giving yourself the proper nutrients, then that gives your eating disorder more fuel to keep on going because your eating disorder is kind of helping you meet those needs. So you need to be meeting your basic needs. And something my client, one of my clients just said to me that I thought was really brilliant, which was maybe it's not about always doing it and doing doing more and doing better. Maybe it's about actually taking time to slow down so that I can work on these things. And we were, she was talking about how she's constantly always trying to do more work. And I was telling her, maybe you don't always need to do more work. Maybe you actually need to take more time to slow down right now while you're trying to recover. Because it's crazy. Like the things, especially I, I know everyone in this world does a lot of stuff. Um, but I feel like as women, we 
are, we have a lot higher expectations. Like we have to do work when our hormones are going crazy. We have to go back to work, at least in America, we're expected to go back to really work really soon when we have just given birth to a child. Um, we are supposedly supposed to do normal work at a job and then also take on more of the household burdens. Women are notoriously known for doing taking care of the kids primarily, doing more of the housework, and then also having a job on top of that. So maybe part of recovery is you learning to actually take time and learning to meet your basic needs that makes it a non-negotiable. And if you're meeting your basic needs, it's going to be a lot easier to do everything else I'm about to say. So don't go into recovery thinking you can get away with that. You need to be eating enough, sleeping enough, and drinking enough water. Um, And my next tip would be eating consistently and enough. And this one, I know people hate to hear. I hated to hear it, especially I felt like I was constantly overeating in bulimia. So when I heard people say, you're not eating enough, you need to be eating consistently and you need to be eating enough. I was like, fuck you. I'm binging every single day. I'm overweight. There's no way I'm not eating enough. My body has plenty. It has more food than it needs. However, I was constantly trying to skip lunch and skip breakfast, wondering why I was binging every single day. I was constantly under the mindset of, you can't have food, you can't that. I was constantly trying to keep my meals restrictive. And then when I binged is when I would eat everything. When I overate or ate uncontrollably from an urge, that's when I would get the things that I wanted. So even though technically, yes, I was eating enough every single day, I was not eating consistently and I was not giving myself enough per meal. So something I work with a lot of people on is just getting them on a regular food plan. And a lot of times it's just three meals a day plus snacks. Like I have one client who we're early on in our journey, but what helps her every time I I set goals for my clients every single week and I send it to them in an email. And at the end of the email, email, there's the goals. And I put on her goals, three meals a day plus snacks. And we just, every single week, it's a goal on top of whatever else we talk about because it helps her, gives her structure. For you, same thing. Stop intermittent fasting, stop pushing your meals back, stop saving it all for a night, start front loading your calories. If anything, give yourself adequate quantities of food per meal and eat consistently every three to four hours. If you need to eat more frequently than that in the beginning, that is okay. But eating consistently and eating enough is a must in recovery. And it's really hard to do it otherwise. And if you're having resistance to that, if you're like, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm going to gain weight, blah, blah, blah. Work through those. List them all out. What are your resistances? That's what's keeping you from recovering right now. That's one of the things at least. But I just want you to know that unless you're doing this, it's going to be really hard. Like again, maybe there's a small loophole. Maybe you're the the 0.5% that can do it without this, but I wouldn't bank on that statistic. (laughs) I wouldn't, we always think that we're the one person that is special that either can't do it or can do it during this, in this weird, hard way. You're most likely not. And I'm saying that with so much love. I am not special. I am not the 1%. I had to recover the old fashioned way. You likely do too. Don't make yourself go through the, the most, more difficult way. Okay. The third tip is to pause regardless of whether you binge or purge or not, regardless of whether you engage in behaviors or not. I teach in my course and with private clients, I teach something called the pause method and it's been used by other people too, but I I just call it the pause method. And it is when you, when you think you're going to binge and you're experiencing an urge, you must be aware that you're having the urge. And then when you notice you're having the urge, you stop and pause, not to distract yourself, not to 
go do other things, but to take a moment, take about two minutes to breathe and process and decide what you're going to do intentionally instead of just engaging in the behavior. The reason I have people do this is one, it interrupts the binge and purge cycle. It takes you out of autopilot. When you're in autopilot, you just go through the motions. When you pause, you are forced to stop and figure out what you want to do next. Um, kind of gets you out of that mental fog. And then it helps you process your emotions and it helps you make a more rational decision. But something people don't catch, they hear that, they're like, okay, pause method to stop binging. And they think the pause method is only exclusively used to stop you from binging. But I'd rather you use the pause method regardless of whether you're going to engage in behaviors or not. I want you to use the pause method every single time. And if you're going to engage in behaviors, it's even more important that you use the pause method, not to get you to stop, but to get you to consciously be aware of why you're making the decision to binge. Now, I know when I say that people get really triggered, they're like, I'm not deciding to binge. How could you say something like that? I get it. You were binging out of this compulsion, right? This feeling, this desire, this urge. However, if you want to stop binging and purging and engaging in these automatic behaviors, you are the only one that's going to be able to stop yourself from doing that. And therefore you need to get aware of why you're doing it. And you need to find your power in that moment. When you're having urges, you don't actually have to engage in those behaviors. You aren't forced to. It feels like it, but that's not actually the case. And what you might find through pausing and having more awareness is that you actually have more of a choice in that situation than you actually think that you do. You have more power and you can actually stop the momentum and use different emotional tactics in order to stop binging. However, it's really hard to do that if you don't stop. Now, if you pause, but you still engage, the really great thing about that is that you are making the choice to binge from your own free will, from your own free choice, and you understand that you're making that choice without guilt, without shame. It's very awesome. And you might think you're saying I should make the conscious choice to binge. What? How is that helpful? It's helpful because this is where you start to see your power. When you're making a choice consciously and you don't beat yourself up for it and you don't get mad at yourself for it and you own your choice, it actually helps you see like I have power. I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to and I'm owning that and I can move forward. And when you're not riddled with guilt and you're not constantly making this big dramatic thing, it might start to build cognitive dissonance because you're seeing, hey, I'm I'm pausing and I'm stopping, but I'm still continually making the choice to binge or purge or engage in these behaviors. And even though in the moment it seems like I want to, later on I don't want to. Why do I keep making that choice? Do I still want to keep on making that choice? Also, when you're pausing, regardless of whether you engage in the behavior, you are creating a gap in time. You are creating a new habit loop. Your habit loop currently is urge to binge, engage in binge behaviors. There's nothing in between. Now you're building the habit of urge to binge, pause before binging, then binge. And you may think, well, I'm still binging anyway. What does that matter? No, you're actually creating space in between that. And the more space you can, I've described to clients before, as you're wedging your foot in the door and the more you can wedge your foot in the door, the more space and opportunity you have to stop yourself. And even if you don't stop yourself the first hundred times, which I know sounds awful, but if you don't stop yourself in the beginning, eventually you might find a time where you actually have the power to stop yourself because you've created that space and time and you've created space and time without pressure and guilt to do so. 
So you know, whatever choice you make, whether it's to binge or it's to not, you're not going to beat yourself up. You're not going to be waiting with a gun on the other side to backstab yourself. You are going to own yourself either way. And when you take off that pressure from yourself, you're actually able to make a better choice over time from your own free will versus feeling like you have to using willpower. I, and I've talked about this all the time, but in my recovery, six months around six months before I stopped binging for the last time, I stopped beating myself up for binging. I just was like, this is what we're doing. It's okay. Um, This isn't the worst thing in the world. We're binging and purging. It's like our cigarettes. I didn't view it as healthy, but I was like, I'm not going to beat myself up for this anymore. And taking away that shame allowed me to just make the choice consciously. And then over time that built cognitive dissonance. And I was like, I don't like, I keep doing this. I don't really want, why am I doing this? And then eventually led me to discovering the pause method through my coach uh, at the time, Janet Archer. And then that led me to uh, actually practice it and realize I don't want to do this anymore. And then be able to quickly make a different choice because I knew I had power in that moment. So that's why it's important whether you pause to pause, whether you engage in behaviors or not. And the way I got myself to pause in the beginning is telling myself, and I truly fucking meant it, you can binge afterwards if you want to. We have to pause though. I I was dead serious. I was like, you can binge and purge afterwards, I swear to God, but you need to pause right now. And I was serious with myself and I allowed myself to do that. Give yourself the same courtesy. Okay. Um, the, uh, the fourth tip I'd say is practice feeling your feelings. I know this is so woo. It sounds so silly. I talk about different tactics, um, to go over this, but in my course and my group coaching program, but the best way I can describe, and I've described it in another podcast recently, actually, best way I can describe feeling your feelings is to actually allow the feeling through um, kind of like if you're walking into cold water and something that I know about when you're getting in cold water, don't tense up, don't freeze, don't cave yourself in. The best thing you can do is dunk your hand under water and start moving, start opening your chest, start moving your limbs, start wiggling your toes. If you're feeling an uncomfortable emotion, instead of tensing up and trying to make that emotion not happen, try to actually open your body, like physically move your shoulders back, open up your chest, wiggle your limbs a little bit, and breathe and then try to identify where that feeling is in your body and explore it, describe it. The more you describe it, the less scary it will be, kind of like you're turning on the lights of a dark basement. And something I'd ask myself constantly in recovery was, am I going to die? And then I would answer myself, no. And I literally would write this out word for word. And something about that helped me realize that even though this feeling was highly uncomfortable, it wasn't going to kill me and I was going to be okay. And breathe through that and know that you don't have to engage in the feeling or engage in the urge in order to deal with the feeling. Also, practice feeling uncomfortable emotions. A good way to do that is to recognize that you're not supposed to feel happy all the time. And you're like Brooke Castillo said, 50-50, right? My boyfriend said he disagreed with that, which was kind of funny. (laughs) He's like, I don't think life is 50-50 negative and positive. I think life's awesome. There's a lot of positive things. He's such an optimist, but it's really helpful to have expectations to know that not all the time are you supposed to be happy. You're not always supposed to feel uncomfortable. You're not always supposed to feel good and uncomfortable emotions are part of life. And this is your experience right now and be with it. Okay. And then my fifth tip would be reviewing your reasons why you engage in behaviors, constantly trying to reflect or reassess that sort of stuff. I do this through journaling and I also do this through voice notes, especially when I'm running or something or walking or driving. That's often when I get my best ideas, but obviously my hands aren't free. So I will do a voice note and I'll write it down later. But whatever method you feel comfortable in, do some sort of reflection on what's working, what's not working, what you want to try next, and then deciding and going after it. 
I cannot say enough why this is so helpful, but the main reason is that you don't keep repeating the same mistakes and you're staying aware. That's the benefit of coaching and the group coaching program above all else is it forces you to review things and reflect and look at yourself instead of avoiding it and then see what do we want to do next, come up with a plan and move forward and make progress. So highly recommend that you have some form of reflecting and probably doing both. Get someone to help you, which is my next tip. Get someone to help you, but then also do your own reflection consistently. And no, you don't have to do an hour of reflection a day. I know that we all have busy lives. I probably spend Mm, it depends on the day, but on an average day, probably 10 minutes journaling or less. I write my to-do list, but then I also write my journaling things, which switch up from time to time. Some days I spend longer journaling if I have something I really need to work through. Uh, so do that and do whatever method works best for you. You can take videos, you can do voice notes, you can type it on your notes, you can write it out by hand. Um, you can verbally express it to other people too. My seventh tip is to not do it alone. Get paid help if you can afford it. If you can afford it, absolutely pay someone to help you. It doesn't have to be me, although I'm fucking awesome, but pay someone to help you. If you can afford it, there's no reason you shouldn't be investing money in your mental health. It's going to pay you back tenfold. It's going to be the most best investment you can is in your mind and recovery. Investing in your recovery is investing in your mind. And it's not just recovering from bulimia. People think that they're purchasing, um, like I'm just wasting money to spend to recover from bulimia. Recovering from bulimia teaches you so many mental health tactics that you can use in daily life. Recovering from bulimia was the best thing I ever did for my life. Not just because I'm not binging and purging all the time, but because I have so many tactics I learned from recovery that I use in my business, in my personal life, I use with coaching all the time. So if you can pay for help, if you have the money, or you have means to get the money, pay for some side of some sort of assisted help. It depends on the level that you're in. If you feel like you're completely overwhelmed, your health is at risk, go to treatment, pay for treatment. If that's not the case, but you feel like you need more extreme help or something like that, get a therapist, a professional, a coach, hire me, whatever it is, but get someone to help you have it on your side. It is super valuable and something about paying for help if you're paying for the right type of help, is you're getting an outside objective perspective. Something that's really rough about getting help from family, it's supportive, I'm going to talk about that next, but they have their own emotions attached to it. And if it's a true professional, they are not going to use your recovery to tamper their emotions. I was talking with a client the other day who had an episode after months and months of not having an episode. And she handled it well, she's moved past it, which is really awesome. But she said on the call, I was worried that you would be mad. And I know that it's not because I've been mad. I've never been mad at her before, but it's because she's had past therapists who have gotten mad at her when she's not doing the correct things in recovery. That's probably, and she's had experiences in her life where people have gotten mad because she's not doing the right thing or she's made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I told her, I am not mad and I will never be mad at you for something you're doing, a mistake that you've made or a struggle that you're having. The only thing that I'm, I'm having going through my mind when you have a behavior is concern. I'm genuinely concerned for my clients. So when you are working with a professional, be sure to look out for them getting mad or upset or passive aggressive or angry when you're not doing things in their way. They have stepped out of concern for you and they have stepped into some sort of story that they're telling yourself unintentionally. I'm not saying that people are doing this on purpose, but I know that like, you know, therapists, coaches, we're all human too, right? We have our own emotions. 
But as a professional, you should not be using your client's success or lack of success to mean anything about your emotions and is your job to stay in concern for your client and to be always serving your client versus getting angry about it or impatient with them. That is not what you do. So if you that was a long off rant, but if you do decide to work with someone, you feel like you have the funds for it, you can and you you or you want to work up the funds for it and you think this is important because it is then be sure you pick someone who has your best interest in mind and is there to serve you, not to just make money from you and not to just like get you to do things so that they can feel better about themselves. But if you cannot get help, like you you can't afford help, I totally get that. And I, I don't think that you should just sacrifice all your money if you can afford help. However, please, like if you have the means to somehow get that money, utilize that. This will be the best investment you make. However, if you can't get help that is paid, there are tons of free groups online. You can utilize free content like my podcast and other people. There's tons of recovery content out there. Use it like you're paying for it. Use it to take notes, journal, and use the tactics they talk about. I give so many things away for free on here. I'm not really holding back. It's just my paid content is more guided and more structured. And you get to talk to me face-to-face, that sort of stuff. But it's not like I'm holding back secrets. I want you to recover whether you work with me or not. So use my podcast, utilize free resources out there and utilize your family members and people you actually trust. If you don't trust your family, your family's toxic, find a friend, find a free support group. You can go to, um, what are they called? You can go to Overeaters Anonymous, even though I don't agree with all their principles, being in a surrounding circle of people who are struggling will help you. There are so many free resources out there. It is not, um, it's not an option for you to do this alone. The reason I'm saying all this is that whether it's paid or free, do not go through recovery alone. Eating disorders thrive in isolation and it is very hard for you to see past your own bullshit especially your eating disorder bullshit. I was just doing a private podcast call. And because I was explaining the reason, I on the call (laughs) covered my own flaw, my thinking that I hadn't realized until I was talking out loud about it. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't had the podcast. So if that happened to me, like it's going to happen to you, you need other people to help support you. And I was, I had a consult with someone today where she was like, something I've been doing is just telling people I don't want to be alone right now. And that's been helping with recovery. So get help wherever you can find it. You can get paid help. Awesome. If you can get free help, awesome. Best to use both. But yeah, that's my, that's one of my tips. (laughs) Get off my soapbox now. And then the last tip, treat yourself with kindness, compassion, and hold on to belief that it is possible for you. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Something that makes me helps me believe in every single person, even if I've never met them before, makes me keep showing up every single day, is that I know if you are human, you have a human brain. If you have the human, if a human brain, you have the ability to change. You have the capacity to change. And if you have the capacity to change, then you can recover. And that is something I think about all the time. And it's something I think about when clients come to me and they are struggling. I think about that. And it lets me stay in belief for them, even when they don't believe in themselves. It's something I say everywhere to help you believe in yourself. It's something that I think that makes me, even though I don't even know you out there listening, helps me believe that it's possible for you. And so when you're thinking it's not possible for me, don't do that to yourself. It is always possible. And I don't know if that's, I don't care if that's blindly confident, it is real. I believe that truly to my bones. And I want you to believe that too and stay in belief through yourself. Because if you do not believe it's possible for yourself, you will not try and you will not recover. Even if it was actually possible for you. And this is something I talk about. Um, I had a 
a client that I worked with for a full year. Usually I work with clients for six months, but this client I happen to work with for a full year. And it was so cool, all the transformations she uh, went through. She got married. She recovered from bulimia. She stopped binge and purging. She figured out a way to eat that works for her. She started a business. She um, was exercising regularly and she moved. She's all these crazy things, right? For Through a year working together. But I'll never forget on the consult. She, she was like, I don't, I don't, she just, it wasn't, it was genuine. She was like, I don't think, I asked her, do you, do you think you can stop yourself? Like, do you think there's a way for you to stop binging in the moment? She's like, I know, I don't think there is. I don't think I can stop myself. And I really don't know. I don't know why she hired me because if she didn't believe it was possible for herself, she was, I don't know why she hired me then. But she asked me, do you believe it's possible for me? And that's what I told her exactly what I just told you guys. I believe you have the capacity to change. And then yes, I believe that it's possible for you because of that. And I was dead serious. And that's probably why she hired me, honestly. But um, she made all those changes and she didn't think it was possible for her. But it actually was like, that's the crazy thing is that we think things are impossible. So we never try. And then they were always just there, but we never lifted the curtain. We never give ourselves a chance. So give yourself the chance, give yourself belief and say in compassion, curiosity, and kindness for yourself. Those are my top tips for bulimia recovery. I hope that they helped you and motivated you today. I would live and die by those, um, those tips. Okay. I'm going to let you guys go. If you need help, there's a free course on my website, there's group coaching on my website, and there's private coaching available. And I'm also offering a new year-long coaching package, and that is limited availability. I, this is coming out weeks in advance, so I don't know if it'll actually be available then. Um, but if you would like to work with me on that, I'm offering for limited capacity of people, um, that yearly coaching package at a discount because of the transformation I've seen it make with people. Um, if you would like that, book a consult with me and we'll discuss on the consult whether that is a good fit for you or not, or whether you should try something else. And um, on my consult, if you want to book a consult with me, all you need to do is go to my website, bingebreakers.com and uh, click the private coaching button and then apply for coaching, apply for a consult, click the button and it'll ask you a series of questions. All those questions I have picked meticulously so that I can best serve you on the consult and have to ask you even less questions when we're actually in person or ask only clarifying clarifying question questions so that I can serve you best. That's why they're there. Please answer them. I promise that they're relevant. And then we'll discuss on the call. And afterwards, we'll see if we're a good fit and discuss whether you want to do coaching or want to do something else. And I always say this, but on consults, it's really cool because people find that even if they end up not working with me, which I'm not trying to encourage you to get on calls not to work with me, I think that I'm awesome. But when you get on a call for a coaching call, you actually get a consult call. You have to make the decision of whether you want to work with someone or not. And then from that, you have to make the decision of what you want to do with recovery. Coaching calls, consult calls, they're really valuable. I remember when I was doing my own consult calls with my own coach, it helped me clarify where I was at, what I wanted to be doing, what wasn't working, what was working, and what I wanted to be focusing on. Same thing will happen for you on a coaching call or consult call with me. So highly recommend them. Hopefully I'll see you and talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being here. Never give up on yourself. Goodbye. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now. Thank you.